there's more to hear than meets the ear. This is a phrase coined by award-winning New Age recording artist and sound scientist Stephen Halpern. This one sentence is a very telling statement. Although it is well known that sound has an impact on our emotional state, there's a much deeper dynamic involved when it comes to the interaction of sound with the physical, psychological, and spiritual aspects of ourselves. Can certain sounds affect our breathing, our eating habits, or even our psychic capacity? Can sound be used in concert with color to heighten a transcendental state? Are there certain tones we can create to induce a more centered and relaxed condition? Some of the answers you'll hear may surprise you. Please join me now as we check in with Stephen Halpern on these questions and a lot more right here on Conscious Inquiry. Thousands of people know you are an expert in sound. You're an expert in harmonics and in creating music that positively influences the body, mind, and spirit. And you know, I wanted to spend the hour today talking about the dynamics of sound and how it impacts the human condition, for better or worse. Maybe you can start by explaining a little bit why is sound so important in our lives? Great question, and yes, it really is all that important and and much much more so than most people know sounds important because literally at a vibrational level we are all sound every atom and molecule and cell and gland and muscle and tissue in the body vibrates mm-hmm. and it vibrates makes a sound whether we can hear it or not but it makes a sound so the fact that physical audible sound affects our physical material body is a no-brainer as it was and that's that's where a lot of music therapists and other people who aren't really familiar with the field think that they only talk about music affecting your emotions or music affecting comes in through your ears what i wrote in my first book when i started uh, when i learned all, all this in the early 1970s I was talking about there's more to hear than meets the ear. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our entire body responds to sound. Now, part of how I figured this out was just paying attention to my own body. And that uh, I also found out that many people don't have the same sensitivity to sound uh-huh. that I have. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, uh, even when I was a kid, eating dinner in a small family kitchen slash dining room, I complained about the rumbling of the refrigerator that was hurting my stomach. And my father would slap me, basically, and say, shut up. How could something invisible affect you? I don't feel anything. Therefore, something basically must be the matter with you. Right. (laughs) No. So at an early age, I go, "Mm, okay. And when I started being able to do research in college, I found out that actually there is quite a lot of information about how different frequencies resonate in different areas of the body. And uh, then you could get more esoteric with relating sound and chakras. But even when it's sound that you don't hear, uh, certain sounds, whether they are very low sounds or very high sounds, can give you a headache, can certainly increase your stress and uh, really undermine how you're feeling. The most interesting example for me, because this is an ongoing, uh, quote, research uh, experiment and an ongoing awareness, a couple 
years ago, I bought a big screen plasma TV. Mm -hmm. I was graduating now over 10 years ago, whatever it was. And the picture was beautiful. The guys set up, they left. And I noticed that as I was watching it, as I was watching whatever program I was watching, I was always hungry. And I couldn't stop eating. And I said, you know, this is not like me. My pants weren't fitting. So I tried different things to find out what what was different. The only thing that was different in the room was uh, I changed my uh, big Sony uh, uh, old-fashioned TV for this plasma. I found when I shut off everything, all the electricity, I unplugged everything. Until I did that, uh, the sound, there was still a low hum. It turned out it was a secret little fan inside the plasma TV that was making me very uptight, uh, but without being aware of what was causing it. It was a subliminal uh, uh, stress. And what I would do was, would be that I would eat or drink uh, different things, particularly um, vanilla haagen ice cream was my, my <laughs> drug of choice uh, f for that week until I identified the source of the sound. Wow. I, I got the TV taken away and, and got an LED, which was silent. But, but most people would never have noticed that. Most people, uh, if they meditate, they uh, may think that they're meditating and tuning into the sound of the universe, the cosmic ohm. When I have people check out their homes, they find out that they're literally making the sound and feeling the sound of the refrigerator motor that transduces through the floor into their seat or particularly if they're sitting on a cushion on the floor with and they were never aware of it that they were tuning into the refrigerator and not to the cosmos that is so fascinating oh my gosh well that is a loaded piece of information steve and it just makes me think imagine all of the sounds or sounds that may not be audible to us but through electricity alone that are going on in each of our homes right. and and as you i, I mean it really took a, a bit of a investigation and and sleuthing as i like to say for you to be able to identify that the sound or this uh connection with your being hungry so much was due to the sound coming from your tv now could you hear i can't remember if you said could you hear this sound was it audible even at a very low level with this plasma yes it was it was you know, okay you know there's always so many other uh things on that unless you were really listening for it, you wouldn't notice it. But then the same thing uh, where I live, there are often uh, ambient leaf blowers or lawnmowers, and sure. my body was always more uh, sensitive to that. What I would notice is it would be affecting my breathing. I'm breathing uh, irregularly and shallowly, and um, I'm never really able to relax, but there wasn't an obvious thing like a um, jackhammer next door. Right. Uh, so, so these and 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 there are so many things like that going. Even if someone is flying on an airline, uh, as I was uh, last week, after a while, and different airplanes make different kinds of noises, and depending where you're sitting, you know, there's different engine noise. But there's a nice kind of engine noise that's kind of almost like a white noise that mm -hmm. you could use to meditate and and kind of go out. But other times, it just becomes very fatiguing. And because it's like um, a frog put in a pot of water, if you slowly heat the water, the frog will be boiled to death. But if you drop a frog in boiling water, it'll jump out. Right. When I put on noise, my 
my, my Bose noise-canceling headphones, I, the first thing was, ah, I took a deep breath. I didn't realize how much stress I was under because it came on so slowly and was just steady. You never got a release from it. Mm-hmm. And I bet that most of the people on the plane didn't notice that, and the people who had their noise-canceling headphones uh, were, were the happier people on the plane. Absolutely. Wow. Well, look, this I can, I can see right now where the universe is taking this conversation, Stephen. I think this is absolutely key for people who think of the thousands of people, hopefully, that will listen to this that will say, aha, I, too, have not realized how much sound may be impacting my life. So hopefully this hour or so will educate people as to how we can undo that. You know, you think about the sounds. This is really kind of taking me off on a whole nother tangent, but so be it. So be it. I love the way these things kind of naturally flow. You think about, again, we, are, we, talk, we talk about something called noise pollution. Yes. Typically we're talking about loud, very overt, uh, invasive sounds like a motorcycle or somebody screaming, kids screaming, or, you know, just the city traffic. But again, between these very overt loud sounds and yet these subtle uh, sounds that hit us subliminally, it is no wonder so many people are fatigued constantly. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, in my first book, which was called Tuning the Human Instrument, I talked about that and got into much more deeply in my book Sound Health. Uh-huh. came out in 1985, published by Harper and Row. And I did a national book tour where I was on all the big shows that were on, a lot of the big shows, the morning talk shows, AM New York, AM LA, uh, got on a variety of other shows. And the look, when I pointed these things out of the... the, the the hosts, they said, oh, I never thought, you know, and then another one in, in L.A., I won't mention her name, said, I hate the sound of the ocean, and she lives right by the ocean because that's where her husband wanted to live. They wound up getting divorced shortly thereafter uh, because some people love the ocean and other people drives them crazy. Isn't that something? Why? Right. It's not, uh, we don't know why, but in different strokes for different folks, the reality was you need to take advantage, uh, take responsibility for taking at least some control where possible and when it's not possible there are some things and we'll talk about that that you can do to sound condition your area but even one thing uh, in one's bedroom the sound of ticking clocks can keep you awake without your being aware of it uh, I can hear a ticking clock where most people cannot mm-hmm. and I've been at friends homes even in their living room where it's a well, you know, can we move that uh, uh, ticking clock? Or, wow, your watch is really loud. And I'm on, uh, across the room, and they said to me, you couldn't possibly have heard that. But then they realized I did. Yeah. Because I pointed out, and I said, and the clock is behind that sofa, and I couldn't even see it. But I knew the tick, tick, tick. Sure. So, you know, uh, people have different levels of physical healing and that my body because again the uh, uh, statement that the entire body responds to sound some things will literally get on your nerves that don't affect other people yes wow well you know this brings me to 
You know, I want to get into I want to get into the, what you have coined that I'll never forget called scaleless interruptus. But I want to pause that for a minute because I have a feeling this is all connected. It but is I want, because that's another hidden stressor yeah. in the music we listen to that you would never consider. It's not taught in any music class yet. Right. Yeah. Well, I want to get into that a little bit deeper. But before we do, Stephen, I want to pause on this note, uh, or, or, or stay on this note, on this note, pun intended, the scale for a moment. Now you're talking about the fact you obviously have a hypersensitivity to sound, as do I. Uh, I've always had. I, I get, you know, I, I prefer quiet, to be frank with you, and, and mellow sound. I think a lot of people yeah, do, but I think some more than others. And I'm wondering if there is any correlation with those who are particularly sound sensitive and are able to pick up on very subtle tone, could there be a correlation between psychic ability? This just came to me. In some cases, yes. And in other cases, no. Uh, and, and I've been quite surprised uh, about that. But certainly in my own life, I've noticed as I've uh, continued in my own spiritual practices, I have gotten more uh, sensitive, and that also translates to being more annoyed quicker hmm. at uh, some of these sounds, and will uh, aim to do something about it. In fact, uh, I am also uh, often the one at a restaurant to ask them to make the music a little softer if they can't <laughs> change it. Uh, if it's fast music that's uh, fighting the conversation that we want to do at the uh, table or making uh, our uh, ourselves chew faster because we chew at the same speed as the background music. Uh, and other people who were spiritually aware just started talking louder. And I'd point out, uh, uh, doesn't anyone else notice how loud the music is getting? Oh, yeah. yeah. So they were just talking louder. My uh, strategy is to try to uh, fix or uh, modify the situation at the source rather than just trying to shout over the music. Exactly. I'm so, oh. I'm so glad you brought that up because, again, and I'm not going to say I thought I was the only one that was just like this because I know there are other people that are, that are like, yes, I'm, I'm the same way. And I find you may make an interesting statement about the fact that once you really kind of kicked into high gear, your spiritual practice, you've perhaps found yourself becoming even more acutely aware of sound and loud sound and being annoyed by it. I now wonder whether that's what's going on with me. I First of all, I always say I'm not going to compete with other sound. I've always been perplexed as to why people feel the need to talk loud when it's not necessary. And I'm hypersensitive from that perspective. So so that's an interesting thing that, that our listeners can kind of uh, you know, take in and, and kind of muse over themselves. I think this is a good time to transition into the scaleless interruptus thing. Because, you know, Stephen, when you and I first talked and you explained it, I will never forget it. It made so much sense to me. But for those that may not know what scaleless interruptus is, would you kindly explain? I certainly will. The basis of most Western European music is based uh, on certain patterns of sound that for those of us who live in America or Western Europe, we are culturally conditioned to unconsciously analyze the music that we're hearing so that we can project into the future 
when we hear music, where the music is going. If we hear a melodic phrase, if we hear some chords, we know how the chord patterns will go so that they resolve back to the, uh, the tonic, the home chord. Uh, in melody, if one reads various articles by people who, uh, by a number of other authors, uh, you will, uh, they will typically talk about the healing power of a melody. Mm -hmm. They will never talk about, uh, very rarely talk about tone quality or the chords or th how the chords themselves are built. So without getting into the musicology of that, I have focused for the last 30 some odd years in my workshops at giving people this little experience, which turns out after uh, my comments and my video went viral, mm -hmm. is the part of my lecture that grabbed people the most, and instead of waiting to 10 or 15 minutes into my talk to get to it, I usually now just start right off, and that is, folks, I'm going to sing a little pattern of ascending frequencies, and when I finish, I want you if you're not driving, uh, as I sing it, I'd like you to close your eyes and just pay attention to what you feel inside your chest. Pay attention to your breathing and pay attention to uh, just basically how you're feeling. And there's nothing else you need to do. It's very simple. It'll take about 10 seconds. And here we go. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti. And how many of you are holding your breath right now? How many of you heard that last note in your head even though I didn't sing it? Mm. And now I'll complete that phrase, do. That is an incomplete scale. It's an interrupted scale. It's a scaleless interruptus. Mm. That's the Latin name that I coined for it. Yeah. And that just brings into uh, sharp focus the fact that whether we're aware of it or not, and this is for musicians as well as non-musicians. Musicians are the worst for this in most cases, but most everyone in our culture has this uh, proclivity. This is what makes listening to classical music so wonderful because you know where the music goes or listening to rock music or pop music because you know where the music is going. You know what the words are going to be. That's wonderful for entertainment. It's wonderful for emotional uplift and et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to relaxation, my position is it's exactly opposite to what your body wants because relaxation only happens in the present moment. You can't relax in the future. If you're projecting where the music is going, you are projecting into the future. You can't relax in the present moment. Wow. I think the thing that I picked up on, Stephen, when you first brought up the concept of scaleless interruptus was, you know, you think about <clears throat> the music choices that we have today in the mainstream including a lot of classical music, particularly rock music and rap music and this sort of new uh, style of harmony, if you want to call it that. I, some of it, a lot of it is disharmony. Many of those compositions, whether popular or classical, are scaleless interruptus, right? They're, they're not... They're, do you understand what I'm saying? That a lot of these uh, pieces are, are, are not... A complete scale. They'll drop off. They'll. They'll. And I don't know the the, the technical terms for um, 
certain pieces that are uh, that will start off on a certain trajectory but then go somewhere unexpected, perhaps to create drama or fear or excitement, some sort of an emotion in the individual listening. There's a lot of that also. Now, you're talking about film music, hip-hop, rap. Uh, all of it. Goth, I think rock. Um, all of it. Okay. I, okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess what my, my question is, don't you see there being a prevalent, prevalence of this type of broken scale in some of the popular music that we hear? And that broken scale uh, may be done, I don't know whether the musician is realizing that's what's happening or not, but they may be breaking that scale to create an emotion of surprise. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? And, and this obviously certainly uh, some of that in film music that, that is basically a science and there are techniques that you use it's also and um, uh, some of our audience and, and you probably remember uh, Phil Collins when yeah. he first went solo and left uh, Genesis his drum sound like there's something uh, something in the air tonight I think was the title of the song uh-huh. if you listen to the sound of his drum when he would do the dum-dum-ba, that dum-dum-ba had what they call a reverse noise gate. Wow. If you feel what you can feel in your body, you will, uh, what I felt when I first heard that was that it was like a sucking in a vacuum into my chest, into my heart area, and it actually was setting up an addictive response. Now, whether he knew that or not, when he got such a hit song, it was a great song, but lots of other drummers and programmers copied that sound. So then, whereas the year before, you never heard it, then you started hearing that sound all over the place. It was by design to get people to be stressed. When you're stressed, you get more, you want more of the same. So it's like fighting fire with fire. It just makes it more. They never got fulfilled. So the stress, uh, and, and this is why program directors would tell me in the early part of my career, we can't play your music on our show because it breaks the stress trance uh-huh. that we have people in. We need music that stays at a certain level of stress, a certain BPM, beats per minute, and your music just totally gets them out of that uh, trance and kind of wakes them up and relaxes them, and that's the opposite of what we want. That's, that's fascinating. I recall you and I talking about that before, and that was actually my next question. Do you feel that there are sounds that are intentionally designed to interrupt our flow, scramble our brains, and negatively affect our well-being? Absolutely. Listen to most any uh, uh, music soundtrack and and any uh, TV or radio commercial. Yeah. Uh, And and the soundtracks in movies and and now, you know, TV uh, uh, programs is a finely developed art that they can do that through musical terms. In the movie The Exorcist, in addition to the visual subliminals that they would use to get people scared and highly stressed, uh, most people don't know, but in the soundtrack, the producers used the sound of a swarm of bees. Number one, that's going to subliminally and instinctually get us stressed. I mean, we, we recognize that at a cellular primordial level. But then what they did, they reversed it and 
and lowered it an octave or two so that you couldn't tell what it was, but it would be subliminally stressing and terrorizing you, creating fear, and you didn't know why. Wow. Wow. That doesn't happen, Alexis, that doesn't happen by accident. Yeah. Somebody knows what they're doing and it just becomes a part of their recipe. This is how we make a hit soundtrack. This is how we get people really scared in their seats. And sometimes when they have a lot of those low sounds, uh, because different sounds resonate in different parts of the body, the low sounds resonate in the lower part of the torso. If there's too much of that low frequency, and in fact, this was happening in um, some theaters and they had to take out the subwoofers that they put under the seats because uh-huh. it would literally cause people to poop in their seats. Oh. <laughs> wow. And that was, that was getting too messy, so I said, well, we won't go that far. <laughs> but uh, that's the problem that can happen. Uh, and, of course, if you're really constipated, that's a good soundtrack to have. <laughs> so, you know, maybe pays you money, it takes your choice. Wow. You've got my mind, my head swimming right now, Stephen, because, you know, you think back and, you, you know, you look back in retrospect and <clears throat> some of the programming, TV programming that we watch, I'm thinking of sitcoms of the 70s uh, with live studio audiences like now I'm going to take it from kind of creep a creepy situation to something that would seem somewhat benign like the Brady Bunch mm-hmm. you know I don't know if I'm going to be able to explain this this is a sound that I have picked up on for years and watching these kind of classic uh, you know uh, situation comedies I guess they would be considered back then even like the Brady Bunch and I don't know, Andy Griffith and things like that, where there would be a live studio audience, right, while they were recording. That's where you get that laughter from. But, you know, <clears throat> I would always... See, let's see if we can identify this, because I will not be able to explain this sound to you, but you might know what I'm talking about. Whenever I would watch the, the show, and obviously be, be very cognizant of the sound, primarily the laughter coming from the audience, I would hear in between, on occasion, another sound that didn't sound... It didn't sound human. It sounded like a, a sound effect. I can't explain. I would not be able to describe it, but it was another just very curious sound to me. And I'm wondering if, because I'm sound sensitive, I picked up on something that most other people didn't, that they had embedded back then to get response from the, the viewing audience. Do you know... I? Again, I'm... Pr- That's possible. I, I don't know. I do know that uh, when live audiences were not available or they didn't want to use those, they would add what they call a laugh track to huh. the soundtrack. That, that was a whole separate thing, which may well have other things in them. I don't know. Uh, I, I haven't... Uh, I, I have no direct experience of that. But uh, if you're hearing something, it's entirely possible that it's there. Wow. Well, that... You because... Just- because no one is expected to be paying attention that carefully. And depending on your TV or sound system, a lot of things, you know, because TV speakers you know, are known for being not very good. That's why we all have to buy the external uh, home theater or you know, now even just a sound bar. There's a lot of inexpensive ways to in, uh, enhance your TV sound rather than just make it a, a high-end uh, home theater surround sound. But I started hearing, well, for instance, here's, here's what happened when I got my, my uh, Bose uh, sound, uh, one, two, three sound system. I noticed that, for instance, on news programs, 
some of them were nice and quiet, and other of them had a really low hum. Mm. And I believe that that is not uh, that's just the sound of the air conditioner in the studios. <laughs> and some studios have quiet air conditioners, just like music studios have to, and some don't. And if you have a crappy little uh, speaker in your TV, you won't hear those low frequencies. But when you buy the add-on uh, uh, speakers, that will boost the bass, and then you will suddenly hear these things. It's great if it's a if if you want it, but it there's a lot of unfiltered uh, sounds that. I'm sure the producer said that oh, it costs extra money to filter this out. You know, no one will notice. Right. Huh. Wow. These extremely low sounds, would these be considered ELFs, extreme, ELF, extremely low frequencies? Uh, no, because that can't be uh, transmitted through speakers. Uh. We're talking in the range under uh, 100 cycles per second, down around 60, uh, because... Most speakers can get down to 60. Uh, when you get down to 50 or 40, no one's going to hear 20. But uh, down around 40, 32 cycles per second, you can still hear it. It's very little, but you also feel it. Right. That's why when rock started to become uh, rock with big speakers and then as it shifted into disco, disco was, was the first... <clears throat> kind of really genre that boosted the low frequencies of the bass and the bass drum to as uh, super high levels. It was a completely unbalanced sound spectrum in terms of what we would describe as a, as a clean sound where the frequencies are all in balance. People wanted the extra boom. And when uh, rap and hip-hop came out, uh, those concerts really brought in the super loud, low-frequency uh, subwoofers. You hear them uh, in uh, some of the cars that some people drive. Mm -hmm. And you know, because uh, people have always asked me in, in workshops and the same, same thing that I experienced, if you had a stoplight and one of these moving disco uh, machines comes near you, even before you see the car, you hear something, you feel something in your gut. And I know with me, I suddenly get... Uh, alert, stressed, and almost fearful before I realize what it is, and then the car comes up and it's boom, right. boom. And you know, I'm going, these people are probably, if they're not on any substances, they're still in an altered state of consciousness because that much low sound pumping into your body has got to trance you out. And that's one of the reasons we're seeing lots of accidents with people who may not even be taking a substance, but they're driving under the influence of subwoofers, which is spacing them out. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. So there's a lot of assault going on in sound in our everyday lives. And this would be, this is a great time, Stephen, we're about at the halfway point to transition from the kind of the assault of sound to the benefit of sound, things that we can do to combat or bring back to balance our, ourselves, our, our, our bodies, our energy fields uh, into a well-being. So I want to talk about, well, here, here's one thing. I first want to bring up the sound of our voice. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. When we speak, our vocal cords are emitting a vibration that can be felt within our bodies. And if we're taking that vibration in, wouldn't it be fair to say that 
what we speak, the words that we speak, and even the tones that we use can affect our own well-being? Absolutely. And and when you listen, people, I mean, in the uh, in, in the field, and one of the great uh, leaders and pioneers in that part of the field is uh, Sherry Edwards and her uh, signature sounds and the work she's done with vocal profiling. If... Uh, because of stress or genetics or upbringing for various reasons, there may be some frequencies that are missing from our voice. Mm -hmm. And also, just anyone to notice this, if you are stressed, your voice, your, your vocal cords will be tightened and your voice will sound more squeezed. Typically, you'll be a little higher. When I lead guided meditations, mm -hmm particularly uh, noticeable when I do the chakra meditation, by the time I'm at the second or third chakra, people notice that my voice is lower because the relaxation happens so quickly, and particularly for a man, when your voice, when your body is relaxed, your voice box is relaxed, your voice lowers. Uh-huh. And it's just natural. And But women have this too, and, and there are some people who have a voice that can grate carrots at 20 paces, uh, Maybe sometimes there's something uh, physically uh, that's been injured, but many times they're not aware of it. Also, if they have hearing damage, this is one of the great breakthroughs uh, and insights that Dr. Alfred Tomatis came up with in France uh, a number of years ago, that if you have hearing damage, you can't hear that you're not producing all the, all the frequencies, and they will... Uh, in, in when he would do his therapy and uh, re regenerate uh, high uh, higher frequency sounds and a full range of hearing, people's voices got mellower, they got more resonant, and that's the key phrase here. When you're stressed, you're not in resonance, you're not in internal coherence or resonance, and your voice does not uh, resonate your own body as fully, and it, uh, other people perceive it as as not as soothing or comforting, etc., etc. When people are angry, you notice how their voice is uh, is so different. Absolutely, and you know, as you're describing this, I'm thinking not only is your voice, the tone of your voice, changing and and uh, more irritated, but your heart, your heart beats uh, or your breathing. Uh, it seems to match that where it may get more shallow or more, you know, uh, uh, more stressed. So Absolutely. it all kind of works in tandem. Okay. That's, that's very interesting. So, you know, message to everyone, let's try to control our voice. And I, you know, I talk to myself a lot. <laughs> I talk out loud and I, <laughs> and I, you know, I, I, I laugh about it, but I think it can be important at times, uh, to hear the tone of your own voice and, and be cognizant of the tone that you're using on a regular basis. And if you don't like it, change it. Right. I, I can think of a couple of people who you could tell they've taken some voice training mm -hmm. uh, because they're talking naturally and then they kind of go, oh, I forgot to, to practice. And then they start talking like this. But they're seething and they're so angry and, and it, there, there's such a disconnect going on. But uh, yes, this can be worked on. That there are simple exercises. Uh, there are books out there that, that can tell you about that. But the tone of your voice is important, as, uh, as certainly as the words are. And the words. That's right. Anything that you might suggest to the audience that they could do, uh, you know, on the fly or in, in a moment of quiet that yes. they could 
Uh, one of the simplest ways is to do uh, what we call a rising siren sound. Uh, it's a technique of vocal toning. We'd like to start off with the vowel O, starting at a low frequency, just making this sound kind of rising up. So it's O. Without straining, doing that a couple of times, I'd like to recommend that uh, in addition to the O, we have several other vowels, and there's five main ones. Use all of them. You should be on good terms with all of the vowels. I will also mention that they all feel a little different. Mm -hmm. They all resonate as different, but they literally they feel good. And if you haven't had a good vowel movement lately, this would be a good time to do it. <laughs> uh, and your body will thank you. And what you'll notice is your voice is more resonant, even taking as little little as 60 seconds to do a little toning like that can change how you sound as well as how you feel. I love it. I love it. I'll be doing it as soon as we hang up. That's great. And it's free. It's free. Yeah. You, I, I used to joke that New York City was the only place when I'm walking on the street that I could do my vocal toning exercises and no one would, would uh, bother me. In fact, it was the best anti-mugger device that I was aware of. But now that everyone has cell phones and they're talking to themselves anyway, right. uh, you know, people don't look at you like you're crazy. But uh, if you're in your car, if you're in an elevator with other people, not a good idea to do it. But if you're in your home bathroom, if you're in your car, if you're out in nature, a few seconds can make such a difference. And it's legal. It's free. We carry that instrument with us all the time. It's called our body. It's our human instrument. And, and there we go. That's fantastic. Oh, boy, there's so many things that we can do that are free and that we can have fun with, and that sounds like one of them. Well, you know, something else that, <clears throat> speaking, I'm getting a frog in my throat, mm -hmm. so my tone is going to change a little bit. I've do, been doing a lot of talking today. But speaking of things that we can do on our own that are free, you know, when you and I were recently out uh, in San Mateo at the New Living Expo and the wonderful uh, uh, trade show that was going on, I purchased a Tibetan singing bowl, my first one. Mm, and I yes. gotta tell you, I love it. I use it uh, as sort of a precursor to meditation. Um, I've used it... Um, Oh my gosh, with a lot, lots of little different ceremonies that I've done. And I find I really resonate. I think I resonate with it philosophically. Um, but I also, I, there's a literal res, uh, resonance that's going on. Um, I, speaking of using our voice, I've also heard, and I can't recall where this was, that when you use a Tibetan singing bowl um, and you match your own voice, you, in other words, you mimic the sound of the particular tone that's coming from the singing bowl, that it can actually enhance the experience. Have you ever heard that? Oh, yes. And, and I do that and absolutely. <clears throat> okay. So that does that is helpful. So as you're going, whether it's clockwise or counterclockwise, to, do, to achieve that, maintain that particular chord, that tone, if you match your voice to just sort of mirror it, that it, it, what's happening there, Stephen, when you're doing that? Well, part of what's happening uh, is that you're in training and resonating, and because you're using your voice, you've got the natural massage frequencies, giving yourself an internal massage and massaging your organs and uh, your heart and um, 
Your body likes it because we're using pure vibration and sound to vibrate the slowed-down vibrations of our atoms and molecules, which are sound at a higher frequency. Uh, so it's, it's good, and it's just another way of... Uh, being part of the orchestra, being interactive and becoming mm. one with the bowl also, it literally helps you become one with the bowl. Interesting. Well, I tried it and it felt right. So I said, well, mm. let me come to the scientist of sound and see if I can quantify what, I'm, what I think I was already feeling. So that's great. That is super. What about color? and sound, Stephen. Can they work in harmony? Can they work in tandem with one another? Let's say I were to take a Tibetan singing bowl and place it on a green cloth versus a yellow cloth, the colors of the, the chakra system. Do they interact in any way, color and sound? Color and sound do. I don't know about anyone mm -hmm. who's uh, used one individual bowl and tried it with different colors. That's certainly possible. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's a several thousand year old tradition associating sounds and colors when I produced and, and started performing my chakra suite it was always in association that the first chakra relates to the color red the keynote of C and then I play music and I would show the pure colors on the um, uh, through a slide projector back in the early days onto the uh, big screen and have people focus their attention at the base of the spine uh, with the color red, moving up with the color orange. Now, uh, that's on one level of reality. There are a number of books that relate to seven uh, and, and, and esoteric systems as well that relate to seven colors. Uh, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet to the seven tones, C, D, E, F, G, A, B and the seven chakras. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, was, I never claimed to be the first person to draw that analogy. I was the first person to put a soundtrack to it. And, and yes, you can enhance uh, and, and coordinate sound and colors also just by surrounding yourselves. Since most people can't visualize that that well, I... When I first got turned on to this in the early 70s, I went out to the fabric store, bought uh, swatches of fabric, uh, some silk and some velvet, my, my favorite fabrics, mm -hmm. in the seven colors of the, uh, of the spectrum. And then I would take one day, I'd meditate with red. The next day, I would, and I called this my famous thumbtack mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> protocol, I would hang a different color in front of my meditation uh, pillow. Uh, cushion and would do that and then I would read books on numerology and see that well you could actually coordinate the your year with a color the month with a color yeah. and then you could muscle test and you could find out which ones you like but uh, what works for you may not work for your significant other. Oh, sure. But I first got a royal blue, electric blue carpet for my home in 1979. I had some friends who would come up and say whoa that's so vibrant. I can't stay here. And they would leave. And other friends said, oh, that feels like home. And for me, it was so empowering. I got so much more work done. Yeah. Of course, you can't change your carpet every day. But the little meditation area, it was easy to change the colors. Much easier than, change, than painting all wow. the time. Right. And you said you kept the swatches in front. I'm trying to visualize how you were doing this. In other words, I was sitting in front of a, of, of, of a wall, and instead of having...
having a mandala at that point. I just put, uh, uh, let's say, a, a three by four piece of fabric, and I would just have that in my field of vision. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next week, I might try yellow. I tried these with wearing clothes. People said to me when I was teaching this in workshops, well, what happens if you wear yellow pants, which are lower than your solar plexus, which is yellow? And I said, I don't know. Where do you get yellow pants? <laughs> and there were only two places, a yoga store and a golf store. <laughs> so I said, the golf store only has polyester yellow. <laughs> to that. So I bought yoga pants. And two things happened. People made fun of me. And I was feeling very ungrounded. Yeah. Wow. And I said, isn't that interesting uh, that for whatever reason, and maybe that's why we don't see a lot of people wearing yellow pants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Particularly men. Yeah, of course. I'm getting pictures in my head right now, and it's a little bit comical. Wow. So so that's something that we can work with, of course. So Absolutely. Okay. Well, you know, I want to bring something up about, <clears throat> excuse me, big frog in the throat today. Um, associating color, now we're kind of getting off the sound thing, although it's still related for a moment, but associating color with days, well, months, years, Stephen, in my case, I have always associated days of the week with a certain color ever since I can remember, and I can rattle it off real quick right now, Sunday is red, Saturday, uh, Monday is rust. Tuesday is navy blue, Wednesday is violet, Thursday is lime green, Friday is indigo, Saturday is white. Ask me that a week from now, a month from now, 10 years from now, it'll be the same answer. Interesting. And that's true for you. I could give you several references of other systems from different yoga uh, groups, from the Arika training that uh, many of us were familiar with back in the 70s. They have different sequences. Yeah. And... And, and that's the, the principle there is that we all have a basic soul color, our, our color for this life. And then depending, just as with astrology, depending on what uh, year you came in, what day, what month, what male, female, what part of the world you came in, uh, the main thing for you is that it works for you. And that's where there were so many books that put out stuff as facts that are really just their opinions. And uh, the science that that I want to just go back to the earlier answer is that sound, the the relationship between sound and color is that they were both vibratory states. Mm -hmm. Sound is typically vibrating between, uh, that we can hear, between 20 and 20,000 cycles per second, although Realistically, most people hear between 40 cycles and 15,000 cycles per second. Most people do not hear the higher harmonics. Now, color is 44 times higher, 44 octaves higher. So where sound might be 200 cycles per second and 400, you go 44 doublings and you get to about 44,000 cycles per second. That's the visible color range hmm. that we can see. Now, above that, you got x-rays. Below that, you got infrared, because the red, orange, red is the slowest vibrating color, and each of the, going up through blue and then through violet, the, the fastest vibrating color, that's why it was used for royalty, because it was the highest frequency. Oh, wow. Oh, uh, so they they knew that, and you find this you find these colors in in, in different spiritual traditions. Sure. Again, the main thing is validate this for yourself. For yourself. See That's what right. works, and uh, and then bring it in. For many people, 
as I mentioned before about sound in restaurants, I would be the, the only person to go up and complain. And when I would be told, as when I started going on tour and going to other parts of the world where I had to go to restaurants, I would then go back and go table to table. I would either whip out a napkin or sometimes take a tablecloth and say, do you like this? Is the noise in this uh, restaurant bothering you? And they, the people would say, yes, I hate it. Would you like to sign my petition? Mm-hmm. We want to get the, uh, the, the soundtrack changed. Or people would say, the weird ones, they say, yes, I like this music. And then I'd walk away from them. And then the third kind of person would say, what music? They were so hypnotized and just in an altered state already, they weren't even aware. So again, they were uncensored or desensitized to being stressed and being manipulated. Because the other thing I will mention, as with the scaleless interruptors, most restaurants play fast music because it gets you to chew your food faster, uh. means you'll eat your meal faster, you'll leave faster, they make more money because they get more turnover. Love it. I don't love the idea, but I, what you're saying makes perfect sense. I'm feeling that. Absolutely. That would make perfect sense to me. You know, sound is important. And, and when we decided to get together to do this interview, it just felt right. It felt that it was important to talk about the dynamics of sound. Because I think a lot of us, uh, as I say, on the hamster wheel are not thinking about how sound impacts us. And that we can control sound a little bit more once we understand how it works bringing in positive sound for well-being, uh, ridding ourselves of negative sound to the best of our ability. Um, there's a lot going on. Speaking of a lot going on, man, there's a lot going on with you. I cannot let you go without saying congratulations on your ZMN, ZMR Lifetime Achievement Award. Tell us about that. I'm so excited for you. Absolutely. Well, <clears throat> as, as the world of... Uh, the, in music and recorded music and radio and internet keeps changing, uh, there are more and more independent radio programs where music like mine, uh, New Age and world music gets played that are not part of iTunes or Amazon or uh, Spotify, etc. Although Spotify does, uh, I mean, you, you, there's no way for a person to communicate with uh, the people at Spotify or Pandora, mm-hmm. uh, per se, and, and get a whole lot of interactivity. But there are a lot of what are called uh, programmers and hosts of New Age and World Music or radio programs internationally. And a couple of years ago, I really started finding out about an, an organization that was kind of the central clearinghouse and would... Uh, do uh, an analysis of which which music is getting played in Italy or or you know England or America which which tracks of albums are getting the most airplay mm-hmm. well that company was called New Age Music Reporter then they changed the name to Zone Music Reporter for some reason <laughs> and the initials are ZMR mm-hmm. it's a small company but uh, they've been in business for 10 years, and last year, out of the blue, I was contacted by them and said, well, your album was, uh, your, your album that was out last year, Deep Alpha, yeah. is uh, up for one of our awards for Best New Age Healing and Meditation Album. Yeah. And I said, great. And I said, tell me more about your organization, and they invited me to come, and I went last year. And it was, it was wonderful. And uh, a couple months ago, I get a call from them and said, um, well, this is secret now. We can't, we're not telling the public yet, but we are instituting a Lifetime Achievement Award 
which they started last year. And we're going to continue that because so many people said this is a great idea. And you are getting a Lifetime Achievement Award. Yay! So this was recognition from uh, industry peers, from other musicians, from the radio programmers. Uh, I mean, indeed, some of my albums are older than some of the younger of the programmers. But we have a lot of old timers our age, you know, uh, boomers and uh, people in the 40s who love this music. And, and, and as a... Uh, a service because I don't know that any of them get uh, paid for this. They put on these wonderful programs as a Renee. Uh, Blanche in, I think it's Kansas City or Texas, the people do these Sunday night shows or these shows that are doing wonderful uh, curated compilations of his music, folks, that we think you will like. We'd like to introduce you to these new uh, uh, selections and to be honored by that organization as being uh, indeed one of the pioneers of, of the genre was really, really wonderful. The first, um, the first year they gave it to Will Ackerman mm -hmm. as the founder of Wyndham Hill Records, yeah. also highly deserving. But interestingly, for many, many years, Will was, was heard, would always say publicly, don't call me New Age. Wyndham Hill is not New Age. That's for guys like Halpern. <laughs> he meditates. We eat hamburgers. We don't like sprouts. We don't meditate. <laughs> don't call us New Age. And, oh. and they, of course, were the, the best-selling label for many years. So what was so wonderful now is that I am still the original artist uh, uh, established. In other words, I'm a, uh, run by an artist. I was the first musician artist to start his own independent New Age record label before Wyndham Hill. Mm -hmm. I'm still independent. I'm still composing and producing wonderful music. And it was just so wonderful to be honored and acknowledged by my peers and to put this out because it, it's a level of gravitas that is, is also bringing more people into the field. What's so interesting, Alexis, is that the new age genre uh, has not had the kind of honoring of its elders and founders like rock has, like yeah. classical music has, like country music. Uh, was a country music awards on last week or is it coming up soon? Um, uh, BET has the Black Music uh, and Essence Awards uh, and the R&B Awards. Everyone else has an award except the New Agers couldn't get it together. Yeah. So finally, your first Suzanne Doucet put, put something together 20 years ago. Uh, Daryl Portier and, and Ben Dugas put together ZMR. Uh, they had an awards program in New Orleans last month, and I was honored to be the recipient. And uh, In fact, uh, I put together because someone had to, and they didn't have anyone else who had access to the materials that I had, a, um, a lifetime retrospective of where there were testimonials from some of my peers. There were some slides that no one has ever seen other than myself and a couple friends, me back in the 70s with my guitar, with my trumpet, before I started playing piano, mm -hmm. up through the years, and uh, some really wonderful comments. And uh, we snuck in some good teaching. That's now up on uh, my YouTube channel, Stephen Halpern uh, uh, Music at YouTube, and the link is right now on my website, stephenhalpern.com. You go to the latest news in the upper right-hand corner, and you can link right to that website, and um, it's, it's a really, really nice little video. Love it. Love it. Well, you've given us plenty of information. Of course, we'll have all of that wonderful information linked up on the website. Well, let me just say that 
you are so deserving, more than deserving of these honors. And I know that there will be many more to come. And as far as your music and, and your being involved in this music, being older than some of these programmers themselves, your music is timeless, Stephen. Absolutely timeless. It has the ability to affect a newborn child as well as those that are considered seniors. So kudos to all that you've brought, the sound and the harmonics and the beauty that you brought to this planet through your music. Thank you so much. And thanks for Thank this you. awesome discussion. Oh, this is great. A delight to be with you again. As always, I, the pleasure is mine. Thanks so much. From Pythagoras' music of the spheres to the sound coming from our modern technologies, sound is at the heart and soul of our experience, even permeating every cell of our body. I hope you found this discussion helpful on your journey to discover more about ourselves and our world, and most of all, what we can do to make it a much better place. Thank you, as always, for listening to Conscious Inquiry. Until next time, I'm Alexis Brooks.